All right, we're back for the last segment of the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, John, let's talk at least about free agency coming up. Obviously, we're going to start talking with the quarterbacks because right now the Cardinals have a quarterback rating overall of 0.0. Uh, that's just how it is, unless you, want to, unless you want to count Matt Barkley, in which case I, I think you should start looking elsewhere, uh, or you're a USC homer. Uh, let's talk about some of the guys who are out there currently. Um, we've talked to them now plenty about Kirk Cousins. Let's look at some of the other guys who are out there, like Hayes Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford. The, the big three, at least for Minnesota, Josh McCown's out there. We did see Ryan Fitzpatrick get re-signed to a deal. He's not going to hit the free agency market. Uh, what do you think as far as for the free agent cornerbacks, what should be kind of the Cardinals' number one plan? And what do we think that they may more likely end up with if these quarterbacks go elsewhere after teams miss out on Kirk Cousins? Well, I think Minnesota is telling you everything that you need to know about their three quarterbacks uh, set to hit free agency with the fact that they are the likelihood uh, landing spot for Kirk Cousins is they, they don't think that any of them are franchise quarterbacks or capable of becoming franchise quarterbacks in the case of Keenum and, and Bridgewater. We've seen Bradford when he's healthy produce very well. They even gave up a first rounder to get him from Philadelphia. But at this point, Bradford, I'm not sure he even be able to pass a physical. I could see him retiring uh, at the end of this off season based on reports that I'm hearing. Bridgewater hasn't played. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't played football Uh, in the NFL for two seasons. The last time we saw him, he was uh, losing a home playoff game to the Seattle Seahawks in which they were set up to win, but he did not play exceptionally well. He's not somebody I think that can put up the kind of passing numbers that you need from a franchise quarterback. I think he's very much like Tyrod Taylor. Uh, And we just saw Tyrod go for a third rounder and has been underappreciated the majority of his career. So again, Teddy's a placeholder. And then Case Keenum to me was a product of his environment, was a product of great coaching, led to a lot of promotions, led to, you know, his offensive coordinator going to become the New York Giants head coach. So I think that he's somebody that would be best served lobbying to stay in Minnesota if they didn't get Kirk Cousins for whatever reason. But again, we, we know what Case Keenum is. He's a, He's a guy who can come in, spot start, give you some quality starts. Um, same thing with Nick Foles, but uh, not somebody who you want to build your franchise around. But the likelihood of this, Blake, is a lot of these guys are going to get nice contracts. I could see Keenum and, and Bridgewater especially getting, you know, 15 to $17 million per year. Um, I don't know what's in store for Sam Bradford, again, because of the medical. But uh, I think the Cardinals will sniff around that market, see if they can convince these individuals that, you know, it's an open try, not an open trial, but it's an open opportunity for them to, to win the job over, you know, eventual rookie that they're going to draft. But I think the most likely scenario is that the Cardinals are going to invest on the offensive line. They're going to go after Andrew Norwell. They're going to go after some of these, you know, the Justin Pugh's of the world. Um, they're going to look in the trade market for, you know, quality offensive linemen. Maybe they take a look at Nate Soldier, the Patriots, but I think that's where their money's going to go. And I think that they're going to invest in somebody like a Brock Osweiler who knows Mike McCoy's system honestly would not bother me. He played okay last year, but what that would do is it would give me reassurance that Kime is going to make a move in the draft. I think my biggest concern with signing somebody like a Bridgewater or even making a move for Tyrod Taylor is that Kime then would get complacent, get complacent with, with that acquisition and free agency, like he's done with Carson Palmer and get to the point where we get to draft draft night in April and he says, well, I'm, you know, I've got my quarterback. I've got somebody who I think I can win nine to 10 games with. Let's go for BPA. But with Osweiler, you know, you cannot sell that to your fan base. Osweiler against Jimmy G and Russell Wilson and Jared Goff and how well that, you know, some of these other teams in the division have done over the past couple of years. You just can't sell that to your team and your, to your fan base. 
knowing how big of a, a national joke that Osweiler was this past off season. Um, so it would give me hope that they're going to get somebody. So I'm quite frankly rooting for that to take place. Uh, that may sound crazy for the likelihood of them having you know an opportunity to win in 2018, but we've seen rookies come in and do well. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson last year was in the MVP race before he got hurt. And uh, I think that Baker Mayfield or Mar Jackson could have a similar effect on this team if they're able to make a couple tweaks. So in my opinion, Cardinal fans should be rooting for Brock Osweiler because that means Steve Kime has something up his sleeve. Do not allow him to get complacent with the quarterback position with a Sam Bradford. They're not the answer. No, definitely. I think even with Teddy Bridgewater, I think that becomes a situation where you have to add someone who's going to be a consistent guy who you know is going to be durable enough and staying healthy, even if they have to be at a quarterback three, kind of like how Mark Sanchez was last year with the Buffalo, despite, or excuse me, with the Bears, I should say, not Buffalo, despite the fact that they had their quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, despite the fact they paid Mike Lennon a lot of money. Um, I think that was a, a strong move that they had of being able to have a consistent guy who was durable. And in case your rookie wasn't ready as well, you had a guy who came in. I think if I had to take a look at it, I would still probably slightly rank Bridgewater uh, ahead of some of the other quarterbacks, more just because when we saw his talent level, it looked like he was on the cusp of being able to kind of take that next step into being a franchise quarterback pre-injury. And he's probably maybe not even the same player the Vikings are content to move on. But I do think part of the reason the Vikings are content to move on is because I think they do have Kirk Cousins um, not quite in the bag, but there's not another team that's out there that's going to be able to offer as close to what Minnesota is. They were even in the NFC Championship game last year. And plenty of talent around where Case Keenum had a, a career year. And I think with Case, he's the guy who, you know, there's going to be some Baker Mayfield comparisons, but ultimately you get to see in the NFC Championship game of when the defense is kind of firing on him, he is still at least ultimately limited to a point. I think that he's a guy who you bring in as a stopgap who could be a backup for a few years, but I just think that the upside with Teddy is higher. The guy who I think that if I had to pick for the Cardinals to look after, obviously, is as we talked about, is a Josh McCown type because despite his age, he's still showing his mobile. He showed that he had his best career year last year. Uh, his personality is one of he's a very dynamic, engaging leader, uh, still good friends. I know with Larry Fitzgerald, he actually even threw uh, – you know, if it's his first touchdown pass in the NFL, it'd be almost kind of poetic if this is going to be Larry Fitzgerald's last year to bring him back to the desert to mentor. And if you see them pursue a guy like McCown, you know that the Jets are probably going to be going after either getting Cousins or looking at getting a quarterback in the draft. Maybe the Jets even end up being that team who lands Case or a Teddy. And the Cardinals then would be in a spot of they're having a little bit better option than having to start a Brock Osweiler because my fear always is we've seen this with quarterbacks before is if you have that quarterback on the roster, the odds of them starting at some point are pretty much almost guaranteed. We got to see that with Max Hall. You saw it with John Skelton. Even saw Rich Bartell, Brian Hoyer. These are all guys who we've seen start in the past. Even with this year, a lot of people said, well, you know, you put Blaine Gabbard on the bench. They wouldn't have had a shot at least as far as we're having Blaine Gabbard stay on the bench all season long, given the uh, the availability, at least of Carson Palmer. And now more we found out medically about Drew Stanton with just playing through, despite perhaps having a, a no ACL whatsoever. But if you believe any of those reports, um, that's where I think that if you do have a guy like Osweiler on the roster, you're going to end up having to probably play him at, at some point, whether it's this year, next year, down the road. And I think you need to get a better overall option. That was part of why I would lean toward having a Teddy. Maybe if Teddy Osweiler is, your option with plan A, and you then know that you're going to be having to get a quarterback in this draft. But like you said, with Steve Kine, it doesn't seem so far that he has the same value on quarterbacks that most GMs do. Even when Teddy was on the board, the team traded back in, 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 uh, in the 2014 draft. Derek Carr was on the board. This The pick wasn't going to happen. And it's going to be interesting to see how he and Steve Wilts will grade some of these quarterbacks outside of 
Um, outside of, you know, having a guy like Arians, who's much more a fan of the prototypical pocket passer, uh, perhaps it does open up an avenue for a Lamar Jackson. But uh, anyway, let's let's get into and change the topic a, a little bit from quarterback here. Let's talk about his position, which is probably going to be the most needed outside of quarterback on the roster right now. Uh, and that's fullback. <laughs> fullback is something we never saw with the Bruce Arians era. Uh, it's even infamous where a Steelers fan yelled at him to get a fullback during a, a Super Bowl parade after he just won them a Super Bowl. Uh, with Mike McCoy and his scheme, they do require a fullback. They probably want to acquire one. Uh, there's a couple of guys who were out there as far as, you know, you talk about Derek Coleman, who's right now with the Falcons, Zach Lyon with the Saints. He helped get Alvin Kamara. And uh, uh, I believe also he got helped them with, um, well, just blowing my mind now, um, Mark Ingram. Uh, both of those guys got over a thousand yards behind his running. Maybe that's a guy you pay a bit more money to since you need a fullback. I think the Saints would like to bring him back, first of all. But there's another name that's floating out there that could return to the Cardinals. That's Anthony Sherman, who's a free agent in Kansas City right now. Do you think that this Sherman, is that a possibility at least that he could come back to the Cardinals and kind of take over as the guy who's the lead blocker, at least in a, a scheme that's going to be much more run heavy entering 2018? Yeah, there's a name from the past. That's a that's a player the Cardinals drafted to be the, you know, the bell cow lead blocker for Beanie Wells, of all people. Ended up phasing him out, trading him away in Kimes' first offseason with Bruce Arians uh, for that little nickel corner from Alabama whose name escapes me. But all Anthony Sherman did is go on to make, I think, multiple Pro Bowls in Kansas City and just did a phenomenal job, was the lead blocker that he was always supposed to be in Arizona. And then, of course, Bruce Arians kind of nicks that. And um, we haven't seen a fullback on this roster since. The closest thing, I think, has been Troy Nicholas or Earl Watford or some you know fifth or sixth offensive lineman lining up in the backfield. So it's a position right now that I think the Cardinals will make it a priority, probably in free agency. You're right, Blake. They'll probably get some kind of journeyman uh, fullback instead of not wasting a draft pick, but using a draft pick on one. But it's it's not one I'm sure that's going to be on their you know first day checklist. I think most of their resources early on are going to go up front in the offensive line and into whatever recruiting pitch they're going to be able to sell to Kirk Cousins and or like a Josh McCown. So if you look at the top free agents that are available this off season, you know Norwell we've mentioned at nauseum Blake is somebody I think that would be atop their list outside of Kirk Cousins. I think that's a little bit more realistic. Um, and then you work your way down. Jimmy Graham, you know, do they want to invest in a tight end? I think Star Latulale would be a, a tremendous addition for this franchise, not to mention his familiarity with the Cardinals and their need potentially at the defensive line spot if Kemdichi doesn't work out. Then you've got, you know, a slew of cornerbacks like a Malcolm Butler, like a Truman, Tremaine Johnson, who could be available for the right price. You know, the aforementioned Nate Soldier. Allen Robinson, Eric Reed, Sheldon Richardson. You could see all these guys potentially coming to Arizona. They all fit positions of need, receiver, offensive line, defensive line. Muhammad Wilkerson right now is going on a defensive line tour. Uh, haven't seen him connected with the Cardinals yet. You would think because of uh, Kimes' familiarity with Todd Bowles, you would, you would think that they would probably steer clear of him. Sheldon Richardson, who played well last year in Seattle, a lot of people don't realize is going to hit the market. Um, Tyler Eifert, you mentioned Kyle Rudolph could be available, a couple quality tight ends, but again, after sinking that money in Jermaine Gresham and having him essentially be a non-factor, (laughs) yeah, be a non-factor this year, they probably can't, you know, invest a ton in that position. You saw that Troy Nichols was a a complete bust. So you're, you're crossing your fingers that Ricky Seals Jones is that guy and Kimes already talked him up, but there are a slew of free agents that I think 
could come to Arizona if the Cardinals choose to go that route and spend money just for the fact of spending money outside of Norwell and Cousins and maybe like a star Latulale, spending money on you know somebody like Tyler Eifert, spending money on Tremaine Johnson, does that really help you in 2018 in the big picture? Uh, especially if you're looking at the defensive side of the football where there are already a top five defense for a couple straight years, or are you just so inept offensively that you need to invest all the resources you can this off season into furthering that side of the ball? They've done it time after time on defense when they had Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, they've had some of these veteran players. They've gone out and gotten a Mike Ayupati. Now you need to develop via the draft some staples on offense like you have on defense, like you have with Marcus Golden, like you did with Chandler Jones giving up draft capital, you know, like you have with Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, Buda Baker. Time to make some strides offensively. And really, Blake, there's just not too many marquee names that are going to be available, I think, for the Cardinals to acquire. They're not going to get Drew Brees. It's basically, in a lot of fans' mindset, Kirk Cousins and or Andrew Norwell or bust because of the, the lack of depth at those two positions. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's other options at least for that one. That's kind of where we're going to go over. I can go over a little bit of that. I think that Anthony Sherman's a guy that you could see back with the Cardinals. Uh, even Kent Summers and I talked about how he believes the Cardinals could go after Dominique Rogers Cromartie. And that honestly makes too much sense. I mean, they understand him and his personality. He still at least hangs out and uh, is still good friends with Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, I think more likely you'd probably be looking at him on some type of uh, maybe a one-year deal to recruit his value. Maybe even if it's a two-year deal with the second one being an option. But uh, I think that that's going to be interesting, especially if we end up seeing him back in the Valley again. Um, but as far as looking at a couple other spots and players, I think that I, we're in agreement on if the team's going to look at a, re- a running back, you could see some of the cheap veteran market out there. The cutting Adrian Peterson is most likely is like pretty much guaranteed to happen. Um, and I think that's the biggest question, at least, is going to be who are some of these kind of maybe cheaper free agents the team could bring in to supplement the guys they currently have? I know you mentioned tight end, at least. Um, Trey Burton is the biggest name out there with the Eagles. I think he'll either return or get paid. Um, you probably don't want to risk an Austin Safarian Jenkins. The one guy I think that is interesting are two of names, at least, to remember for Cardinals fans are Cameron Brait, who is a solid tight end, who had good production with Jameis. Um, he was both as a good blocker and as a red zone threat, because that's something that they really don't have that guy right now. You can look at Ricky Seals-Jones, but as far as needing to have a blocking tight end, especially if they're going to run the football a lot, he's a name to look at. And then Virgil Green is a guy who I would have almost have a pencil in as a Cardinal next year, because he's primarily just a blocker only, but he played for years in Denver, is very familiar with Mike McCoy that blocking scheme i think he's one of those guys who in the first two or three days of free agency not day one but day two or three you're gonna hear his name floated out there he's about 30 years old he's kind of near the back end of his career but i think that he's a guy who you're gonna probably look at and ed dixon even played under um, the carolina panthers last year these are kind of a couple options of just getting bodies into the room because you're just so depleted right now where I'm kind of having to be at the combine talking up ricky seals jones and maybe he ends up becoming that type of athletic you know basketball playing uh, well, not basketball player. I don't think he played basketball, but he is a former wide receiver, the athletic tight end threat. Maybe he develops into that, but we just have not seen enough from him to be able to count on that. Um, let's go a little bit just of talking about the, uh, the offensive line because with cornerback, I, I don't see them going after a Malcolm Butler or paying a guy like an EJ Gaines, even a Patrick Robertson's a bit old. I think that they're going to probably go with Tremont Williams, see if there's anything they can do with Brandon Williams with um, trying to develop because we got to see how Steve Wilkes got to turn that around pretty easily with um, – the guy like Josh Norman, and I think they're just gonna they're gonna go with the draft. Go 
Wilkes will find his guy, but work on developing him as a player. I don't think you're going to be looking at a big-name cornerback, at least, even if Tyron Matthew ends up being let go and released from the team. They get a little bit more cap space. Um, but let's talk a little bit about just the, um, the offensive line, and then we can kind of look a little bit maybe at some of the wide receivers who may or may not be out there. But on the offensive line, Andrew Norwell is the big name that's out there. He's the guy who's probably going to get like a big, at least um, at least um, maybe 10 more, probably closer to like 12. I've seen even some reports of $14 million a year. This is kind of like that repeat of a Mike Yupati deal. Yupati couldn't stay healthy and he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't pass protect when you were in a, a third and long situation, had to stand up to pressure. Uh, and he suffered injuries. It, it was kind of a deal where for the time in 2015, he was a huge reason why they pushed into the playoffs, why they made that um, incredible NFC championship run. I wouldn't have a problem with them paying uh, Andrew Norwell, uh, especially because he's a much better pass protector. But if he's not available, you've got a couple of guys at like Justin Pugh, you've got a Josh Sitton, um, even have like a Josh Slauson or a Josh, Cl- or, excuse me, Matt Slauson or a Josh Klein who are out there. I think there's plenty of veterans out there where the team could even say goodbye to um, an Earl Watford not having to bring him back. You're probably going to end up seeing a guy who like um, – like an Evan Bain is going to be maybe a guy who's on the bubble in camp. If he can't perform as it just a depth guy. And then at the center position with the guys like out there, like a John Sullivan or even like a Ryan Jensen for the Ravens, there's enough of a, it's not a great class you'd say out there, but I think there's a, a, a depth, enough depth that's out there that the Cardinals are going to be able to bring in some bodies. They'll be able to replenish guys in that offensive line and be able to have some of these veteran guys out there on relatively inexpensive deals pretty quickly. Uh, it's just going to be up to all that. Uh, who are some guys, at least if you're going to look for in the offensive line, John? Would there be a guy you'd be willing, besides Norwell, to pay? Do you think that he's going to be that guy who is kind of a go-get-him-or-bust type position? What are your kind of your thoughts as the Cardinals go into the 2018 season, having to kind of restructure this line and hope that D.J. Humphreys can stay healthy? You mentioned it. Josh Sitton is somebody I think the Cardinals would be best served to look at as a consolation prize for Norwell. He's on the wrong side of 30 now. But he has been a tremendous, tremendous asset anywhere he's been. The Packers should have never let him go. Uh, The Bears got a lot of mileage out of him when they were able to sign him a couple seasons ago. Granted, they overpaid him, and that's why he's available now. But you look at how effective the running game has been with Jordan Howard. That's because of the the, uh, contributions of Sitton. I think that he'd be great, best served, maybe on a a two-year deal with a a third-team option. Uh, again, can you convince him to come to Arizona? He's from the Midwest. He played in the Midwest. So we'll see. Um, I know the Detroit Lions have some interest. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to, to monitor his market. Nobody else really jumps out. I, I think it would be a little bit disturbing for the Cardinals to go after somebody like Justin Pugh when all we've heard is how poor the offensive line in New York has been. Mm-hmm. And I see him being rated as a top 40 free agent. just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's a solid player, but I mean, I'd put him on the same level as like a Josh Klein from the, you know, the Tennessee Titans, who is a nice player, but he's not somebody that I'm going to give, you know, triple or excuse me, uh, eight figures to uh, like a lot of these other players should. I think Andrew Noble is going to be the highest paid guard in the National Football League. Uh, but you look at Jack Mehor, who is a, a standout for Ohio State, uh, is now a free agent, formerly of the Colts. You know, was he undercoached there? Is that somebody who you'd be able to bring in and maybe get what, you know, a lot of the uh, draft experts thought that he could produce, and that is at a Pro Bowl level. Yeah, just never healthy is the other thing, too. Yep, just never showed it in, in, in Indianapolis. So I think that's somebody who maybe you'd be able to get a one-year deal off of, maybe have a, a quality flyer on him. But outside of those couple guys, there's just – there's nobody. I think the interesting thing, Blake, is the fact that 
what do you do with Jared Valdir if you can't find another tackle in free agency? You know, I mentioned Nate Soldier. He's a left tackle by trait. And so you think about the fact that, you know, we already have a left tackle in DJ Humphreys, and you're going to have to play him based on just the numbers game. If you don't have anybody else to play right tackle and you're going into the draft with no quarterback and no right tackle, that's a scary place to be. Now we've seen teams and we've seen the Arizona Cardinals find quality offensive linemen going into the summer. They got Alex Boone late last year. Uh, a couple of years ago, they found their right tackle, who's now the president of the Players Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name escapes me, Blake. You probably remember. Uh, Eric, Eric Winston, isn't he, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Yep, Eric Winston was a tremendous pickup for this team. I think they signed him in July with John Abraham and a couple other guys. So they can find, you know, suitable players to, to plug and play. But, you know, I – if you can't find one now and you probably just have to hang on to Jared Valdir unless there's a better option available. And I think Valdir would get a nice contract. Should he hit the free agent market, assuming he wants to continue playing. You remember last year, there were rumors that he wanted to maybe consider retirement. Ayupati just hasn't been healthy since that 2015 season. And even then he had, you know, injury injuries plague him throughout that year. He did make a pro bowl, but Norwell is, is obviously the bell of the ball, but the Cardinals really, they, they need to draft – how long have we been saying this? They need to finally draft and develop an offensive lineman through the draft. Uh, it would be great for this year if they were able to get their quarterback early, not have to give up a, a slew of you know day two picks and end up with like a Will Hernandez uh, on day two to go along with you know Andrew Norwell, to go along with one of these guys, a Josh Sitton. Now you've got the makings of – you know, a capable offensive line. And, you know, I think the, one of the biggest things that's not talked about enough is the Cardinals, hopefully are going to get a rookie quarterback. Who's going to be able to make plays with their feet. Now I, you don't want that interior pressure. In my opinion, that's worse than, you know, the edge pressure that a lot of the, these teams face. But, you know, if, you, if you're going to get a Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson, they're going to be able to make plays, even in Josh Allen that Carson Palmer just couldn't make back there. And we saw Blaine Gabbert when he played the second half of last year, wasn't great, but, the team took less sacks because of the fact that he could move a little bit and his elusiveness led to a lot of, you know, a lot of escapability from the, the uh, ineptitude that was the Cardinals offensive line. So they just need quality players up front, wherever they can get them. Uh, I think the trade market could be their friend, maybe with a couple day three picks, but nothing that's going to hopefully sacrifice their opportunity to get a franchise quarterback. Yeah, and I've said, as we said, depending on whoever that veteran that they bring in, that will kind of determine a lot about who that quarterback three is, um, especially also if they have to give up picks now to move up for that guy, or maybe you start looking at, perhaps they do end up looking at the instability of if they have to bring in a Teddy Bridgewater, and they don't want to bring in a Brock Osweiler, maybe you do see a Drew Stanton uh, return for one more season. Uh, I think Stanton's going to have a future in the league as a quarterback's coach somewhere. He's just very typical um, smart guy, very educated. You look at his winning percentage, he knows and understands what it takes to win. And that's something I think even going further with Gabbert. Gabbert started off in the first, in the winning games that he was there. You did see him escape the pocket, make plays with his legs, um, and even not turn the ball over. And the games that they lost, he just came down, especially in the red zone, and struggled and just took almost as many sacks as Carson Palmer did just because he froze uh, kind of when the pass rush. And that was always the biggest knock on him for years, at least, was when the pass rush got to him, he would just freeze and wouldn't actually um, have the, even though he'd have the athleticism, it was like the legs and the arms were disconnected. He couldn't throw well on the run. Um, so that'll be something we can at least talk about the quarterbacks. I remember at least four touchdowns last year, Drew Stanton threw where he was under pressure. He moved, made a move out of the pocket, even running around, you know, one and a half knees, perhaps he still was able to uh, maneuver and had enough arm strength to be able to throw for the touchdown. And that's part of the reason why I think that you need to have 
the kind of the total package in quarterbacks. It has to be accurate too. Stan he never was able to hit, I mean, more than the fifty percent of the passes. But when he did, you know, there would be two touchdowns, one pick, and you know, completing twelve out of twenty-four passes. Um, you probably see them get the win. I think that's where you look at that in your backup. And I think for a starter, you want to see them making as you're talking about impact plays with their legs. Um, you don't want to see a guy who comes out takes a bunch of hits his rookie year and ends up kind of getting ruined just because of that adjustment. Uh, let's go. We'll talk a little bit just after the. Well, last break here, we'll get into talking about the quarterbacks. We got a couple of different stats, at least for 2018, looking at some of the work, some of the studying. Um, are there quarterbacks who this year who have red flags that the Cardinals should be avoiding? And what's the take as far as for Lamar Jackson? Is he a guy who the Cardinals should be avoiding, viewing him as a project? Or is he a guy who maybe ends up being that secret superstar that you could get for cheap? That'll be here in this final segment here on the Bird Game Blitz. Pros in the know start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix, now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. And we're back in the Bird Gang Blitz talking quarterbacks. So, John, uh, I had an article I wrote last week, and I have a second one coming up this uh, upcoming weekend. Of a little bit of some of the stats I can share with you guys tonight to just kind of give a little bit of a preview. But it broke down a part of the Parcells rules about what quarterbacks at least are, you know, what Parcells look for. Adjusted some of that for the new CBA. And um, we've got a lot of guys this year who really stand out. Ultimately, you got at least all of the quarterbacks this year have at least 23 starts. Um, all of the quarterbacks, at least here outside of Josh Allen, started 70% of the games they were eligible to start. Uh, he, Josh Allen, even he was at 69%. Um, he was very close. Um, and ultimately, I think when you talk about when well, each of these guys have started for at least two years, there's not a Mitch Trubisky who started for one year. Uh, but there's a lot at least to like as far as for these guys with experience. Now, some of the quarterbacks who stand out, at least when you look at the combine, I think that Baker Mayfield is a guy who maybe should be in the quarterback one discussion in terms of just overall the statistics, the production. He started 48 games, has been a four-year starter, won 80% of his games plus, and he started about 90% of the games that he's been eligible to start. And you take a look at his production, he's at 130 touchdowns. He's got a you know, four-to-one four touchdown-interception ratio. Uh, most of the scouting back when I came from wanted to look at three-to-one. Parcells likes to focus on two-to-one. But in today's NFL, you really have to be able to 
recognize that when you turn the ball over and the other team scores, there's just such a lack of defense being played today. You have to make smart decisions. And Mayfield, obviously, with his um, completion percentage, is um, almost as good as for his career as, uh, as one of like one of the, some of the top quarterbacks ever. The only guy who comes close even is Luke Falk um, with 68%. Um, you could look at, you know, a guy like a uh, Mar Jackson doesn't hit that 60% threshold. Josh Allen doesn't. Um, all of these guys at least are going to hit the white height, the weight, the hand thresholds. The one guy that was interesting post combine coming out just seemed to be the least impressive was Mason Rudolph. Uh, he basically underthrew deep passes all day, even though he measured in with the prototypical size. He had small hands, and a lot of people just didn't seem as much impressed with him post combine. And yet, if a Cardinals insider like Mike Jarecki is kind of propping him as a late first round pick, um, he interviewed well. What are your thoughts, at least in some of these quarterbacks, where what do you think at least the combine showed us about them? What do you think are kind of some of the biggest concerns that we also saw coming out of the combine? Because no quarterback seemed to take as many hits in the interview room as one Josh Rosen did. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Mason Rudolph or Luke Falk helped themselves. I think that you had a lot of people labeling them as trendy, kind of sneaky first round picks, especially in Rudolph's case. But at the same time, you mentioned it, Blake. The fact that they were, you know, so underwhelming when throwing those routes and that you, you see why Donald opted not to throw, he can't really help himself in that area. But those two individuals absolutely could. Uh, Josh Allen did. And they just weren't on the same level as, as the top four or five quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson, I said earlier in the podcast, didn't really help himself. But again, that's not really his game. His game is the short intermediate passing and obviously his ability to use his legs to make close receivers he didn't expect him to throw you know out routes and deep balls to you know x y and z player you know he that's not his what his you know skill set is based around that's not his you know foyer so uh but again Falk and, and Rudolph to me are at best day three picks um based on the fact that I think that you could see a scenario in which the Cardinals if they aren't able to get the quarterback of the future in the first round for whatever reason maybe selling it to their fan base that you know what, we're going to get a Mason Rudolph to sit behind a Josh McCown or a Luke Fal- or we're going to get a Luke Falk to sit behind Brock Osweiler. That's kind of the worst case scenario, but I think that based on their college production, based on their, like you mentioned, their height and weight, maybe you'd be able to sell that. But they're in the same class as like a Davis Webb who went to the Giants last year. Uh, they're not a starter at this point. At best, they'll be a quality backup. You have the big five, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, uh, and then of those that group, Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold are, are blue chip prospects for me. Uh, and then the rest of them all come with huge question marks. So um, I think that Allen helped himself. I think that uh, Rosen showed that, you know, he's a big time prospect. Darnold to me, if he has a quality pro day, he's going to be the first overall pick. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I read, rubbed some people the wrong way, rubbed some people the wrong way at the senior bowl. Uh, you know, his arrogance and his cockiness is going to, turn off some people in the same way that it reminds them of Johnny Manziel. And that's through no fault of his own. I think that's one of the things that makes him special um, because you can't be, you know, super uh, passive aggressive in that position. We've seen it work against the likes of Jay Cutler. I think that when you're Baker Mayfield, that's part of your selling point. And some teams just don't get that. And that's fine. And he's not going to be their quarterback, but it's, you got to be able to have an open mind with some of these guys and realize that, you know, Baker has everything going for him on the field but off the field, he's got a height disadvantage and he's got a personality disadvantage that's through no fault of his own. So, again, 
the right team is going to have to come along for Baker and Lamar Jackson to put them in an offense for them to be successful. But I think Baker does go in the top 10. And I mentioned Josh Allen early in the, in this podcast about one of the biggest winners from the combine only from a physical standpoint, we'll see how he's able to sell himself to a lot of teams, but you know what? He's closer to me, to Joe Flacco, obviously than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz dominated his level of competition at North Dakota state, won national championships, was just was an absolute baller at that level. Uh, whereas we saw Josh Allen struggle at Wyoming. So uh, there's five quarterbacks that I think I have first round grades on, but all of them come with question marks outside of the top two. Yeah, that's where with Allen, it's just the biggest thing is you look at him, he's started only 27 games. He's missed a ton of time with injury. His shoulder, apparently, some teams it'll check out from at the combine, but he's apparently had multiple shoulder surgeries. Now, I don't think that ends a player as far as for the career. I mean, we even saw a guy like Patrick Mahomes went top 10 last year. He'd had some shoulder issues at least, but most of those were kind of more limited and they cleared at the combine. For Allen, it just felt like it wasn't you know a shoulder reconstruction, but it was a concern for people at least enough that you know, he started hearing at least some of that. And then he went out and threw for as long as he did. I think it kind of cemented the fact that I do think that he could be, if not in position for the number one, I do think he's locked into a top five pick just because of the upside. Uh, but you take a look at the percent of games that he won, at least for that one, you know, he started 27 games, won 16 of them without him. Uh, Wyoming was a mess, but with him, they, they won 59%. So that's, you know, they won enough games with him. You could see the impact where it wasn't like, you know, some of the typical, a lot of times you'll see quarterbacks at winning programs and uh, it's, you know, the programs, uh, the reason where it lifts and carries the quarterback. He did help carry that Wyoming team. But I think with a lot of it, you just got to wonder, uh, is it just the talent around him or is it the incompletion? And I think I've seen a lot of people who would argue uh, that Allen is just a guy who, he ultimately has a uh, an accuracy that's there. It's going to be kind of maybe he's closer to Cam Newton is kind of how people have compared him to. I think that he could be end up closer to a um, guy who gets drafted high as far as a Jake Locker, you know, an athletic guy, not accurate enough, goes in the top 10, um, is kind of a project who gets, you know, taken too high. And uh, what's interesting is looking at some of the work that's been done by some of the guys at NDT scouting. Uh, they put together more of kind of what they have a drop rate and then kind of an adjusted completion percentage, which from their standpoint is let's take a look at the talent around and then chart guys as the drops. And for me as a scout, like I, I feel like drops are very subjective. Sometimes you have a drop that really you could probably say is on the quarterback the way they threw. Sometimes you could probably say that it was perfectly placed. The wide receiver needed to catch it. When you take a look at the drop rates, you get a very different picture of how the quarterbacks line up and specifically with Josh Allen, because the argument for him is he didn't have anyone around him in Wyoming. He didn't have very much talent. He lost a lot of talent, did go to the NFL in 2016, but he comes back and has a very similar season in 2017 to 2016. Uh, they gave his chart rate was the lowest of any of the quarterbacks that were there as far as the top five. He had only about 4% of the passes that were considered the drop rate. And so his completion percentage, when he slid it up, is about 60%. So if every one of those passes was caught, it's at 60%. The thing that scares me the most about Josh Allen is when you look at the, not just the completion percentage, but when he throws it's at about one out of five passes that he throws are incomplete and it's not on the wide receiver. It's his fault. And that scares the heck out of me because if you start going to an NFL level and you start talking about, you know, guys having to be able to throw passes, the corners getting faster, the wide receivers, maybe you're on a team that doesn't have as talented of guys. 
that's just a window at least of if you're starting about at a level of one out of five passes is not going to hit the guy no matter what. That's just such an uphill climb to have to go back from. So that's where I can see why people are looking at him. I can see why they love seeing him hit that guy 70 yards in stride. He didn't, uh, you know, spray the field all over the place like Deshaun Kaiser did a year ago or Logan Thomas did. But I think that the issue with him is his decision-making under pressure. And what he'll do is he'll tend to run around, use his athleticism, hurl it deep. And I think that's going to be something that will bite him uh, in the future, especially considering that he had uh, the highest uh, interceptable amount of passes that were thrown where guys dropped it because, you know, he's throwing 59 mile an hour lasers out here. Um, speaking of that, Baker Mayfield, a lot of people will be questioning his arm strength uh, on Twitter. I saw a lot of people said he had an average arm. And even though they're unofficial, the, the scouting numbers, the head of hitting 60 miles an hour on the radar gun, he at least cleared that 55 mile an hour threshold. And I, I think that he showed that he had a cannon at the combine. Maybe he didn't show like a 70, you know, uh, 70 yard cannon or even hitting one of those awesome throws that Josh Rosen hit earlier, but he showed that he's got a strong enough arm and he's able to throw with enough velocity that I think that he's going to be a, uh, maybe the safest on field player in the draft. As far as for you, you can see the completion, the accuracy, he hits the thresholds. It's a bit shorter, but the biggest thing that he, you see him from him also is he doesn't turn it over. And he actually, with his drop rate, if you look at the adjusted completion percent, he's completing about three out of four passes. Now, he has some struggles, you know, against Ohio State and against teams like, you know, Clemson and their finals. Even Georgia, you have to see him shrink. But I think that he's a guy who, at least overall, is not going to be a quarterback who is going to burn you. Maybe he never reaches that ultimate potential, or maybe he doesn't become like a Drew Brees or Russell Wilson. But I think that he's probably the safest um, pick on the draft as far as it comes to on-field. When it comes to the off-field, when you're talking about the cockiness, the character, a lot of these NFL teams, you're right. They love humility. They love a guy who's able to... Um, you know, put himself out there and kind of take one for the team. I think there's a lot of those aspects he has, but it comes along with that kind of brashness and that confidence. Um, you know, there's some guys just don't like that. You know, we've heard how often we heard people who just don't like Cam Newton for a number of years, but I think that'll be up to the team. And I think that it's very similar to, um, if you think of a Tyron Matthew and a swagger, he's got that as a quarterback. Some of the best quarterbacks like Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady have that. I think that he's a guy who, if the Cardinals is going to trade up for a quarterback, He'd be the guy that I would probably say would be, I would probably want to have them trade up for first because I at least know that he's not going to be a guy who is going to get hurt or injured. He's not going to be a guy who's going to bust out. He's not going to be a guy who's going to turn it over so often that your team's not in position to win games. Now, speaking of turnovers, um, let's talk a little bit about Sam Darnold because I think that when you're talking about the total package, he's going to be the safest quarterback in the draft because he doesn't have some of the personality concerns. He doesn't have as much of the confidence. Um, he hasn't had any kind of controversial actions he's done and he's really gone out and done nothing but kind of show himself to be kind of on that top tier. Um, but he's got a lot of fumbles and turnovers at least. And I think that's something when you look at him and Josh Allen also with his interceptions on the road, there's a couple of concerns. Um, John, what do you think as far as for with, when it comes to these, top four quarterbacks is the one that you're a bit more partial to what are some of the thoughts at least that you have just in these guys and also in Darnold choosing not to throw at the combine yeah I'm partial to Sam Darnold um because I think he is the highest upside of many of the players I think that he is the most grounded uh, Josh Rosen is any other year the first overall pick but we've seen him be outspoken and we've seen how that can turn some teams off it doesn't bother me but at the same time I think Sam Darnold is just kind of you've heard the expression California cool uh, I think the biggest thing that's going against him not that he didn't throw is that he's a USC quarterback uh, and they haven't been successful at this level since uh, ironically enough Carson Palmer came out in 2003 so Darnold to me is the safest prospect in this draft but I think he needs to either go to a team with you know quality skill players a quality offensive line in order to play early 
or he needs to sit because he hasn't played a lot of college football. He didn't start last year or two years ago in the 2016 season until about four games in, which I don't know what Clay Helton and his staff were doing, but uh, then set the world on fire, ended up having a tremendous, tremendous season for uh, a player of his age, won the Rose Bowl in epic fashion, broke all kind of Rose Bowl records. Uh, And then this past season was plagued by an offensive line that was subpar uh, receiving group that had lost Juju Smith-Schuster and a a couple other players to the NFL. And then quite frankly, I think he was hampered a little bit by the offensive coaching of USC. I don't think that their coaching staff uh, is anything to write home about. And I think that played played a part in him wanting to make the jump to the next level because say what you want about Hugh Jackson – but he is somebody who has shown the ability to elevate certain quarterbacks if they have, you know, the, the traits to begin with. We've seen what he had done with, with Andy Dalton in the past. So I think he knew that the best chance for him to succeed is to go get the, get to the NFL, get his security, get his money, and then hopefully be taught early on how to play the position. Perfect scenario now in Cleveland with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, they've got, Ironically enough, a nice offensive line with Joe Thomas with some of those other interior offensive linemen that they've invested in. Um, To me, he's the safest prospect. But again, I love Josh Rosen. I love what he brings. I think he throws a better deep ball. I think that he he will dominate, um, you know, the the middle of the football field. He's the true pocket passer, whereas uh, Darwin gives you a little bit of everything. He's got a little bit of hate continually using in this comparison, but he does have a little bit of big bend to his game. He can move, he can run. Uh, uh, Rosen is uh, very stereotypical. His, his game actually kind of mirrors Carson Palmer more, whereas he's going to stand back there and throw 30, 40 times a game, not going to run out of the pocket, has a nice touch on his deep ball. Both will go, I firmly believe, one, two in this draft, some by some combination of teams. Uh, I, I do believe Cleveland's going to pick Donald first overall. Uh, I think Alan or Rosen will go second overall to either the Giants, to the Jets, to the Broncos, to the Bills, maybe to the Cardinals, but I don't think he's going to get past pick number two. I think the the off-the-field stuff about his politics are overblown. He did wear uh, a hat that I think said F. Trump uh, while he was golfing or, or something to that effect, a shirt or a hat. So, again, how does that play in the locker room? I don't know. We're, we're watching the Seahawks disband their entire team based on uh, part of the reason was that the off-the-field politics of everything kind of uh weighed on their season last year and no 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 position is more important than quarterback and so that could divide a locker room uh but i wouldn't worry about it in arizona because at the end of the day he's just too special of a player to pass on uh he has a higher upside than anybody else i think of this of that group of the the second tier quarterbacks after sam darnold uh, even more so than Josh Allen, because I think that he just he proved it at a bigger level at UCLA, um, didn't have great coaching, didn't have great skill players and still uh, was one of the better quarterbacks they've had come through there in a long time. And so when any whenever you're mentioned in the same realm as, you know, some of the comparisons he's seen, like a Philip Rivers, like a Carson Palmer, you know that it's going to be a pretty safe option. Baker Mayfield, to me, has a lot working against him off the field. Like I mentioned, you know, if you're under six foot, you better be a tremendous human being and by all accounts he is a good person and everybody at you know Oklahoma speaks highly of him but at the same time all Johnny Manziel's teammates loved him too until he gets into the building and shows that he's the first one in last one to leave you're going to have you know people be skeptical and that's why I think he does fall but not as far as some would lead you to believe I still think he's going to go top 10. Yeah, it's also the fact that we've never seen a quarterback who's been six foot, uh, even six foot one, 
drafted that highly since Michael Vick. And Michael Vick was also in a case where there was no other quarterbacks around. We'll talk a little, in a little bit second about the closest comparison to Michael Vick that we've seen. But uh, I think going back with Rosen, like how you talked about, with not just the political beliefs, but I think it's an area of what teams are looking for in a quarterback uh, is much more of the Josh Allen, Sam Darnold of, you know, be quiet, want to play football, willing to play for any team. And Rosen is a guy who I, I think it's almost too smart for his own good in terms of he is outspoken. He does say what's on his mind. He does have strong beliefs. Um, it reminds me a lot, honestly, of how I think we even had a, a, an Arizona um, local guy at least talked about how, you know, uh, his religious beliefs were a topic of conversation at the come up by the fact that he didn't have any of them. And the fact that it might be an issue for some teams, at least, and it might not be an issue. I just had the thought of, at least of with Pat Tillman with the Cardinals and how, um, you know, a lot of it back then at the times, people didn't realize that you know, he was an atheist back then and the, the belief that he'd had was you know, totally not spoken up. Now in today's society with social media, the advent, it's just a totally different um, culture. And I don't think there's a person, at least who's a Cardinals fan, who would look back on that and would, you know, even if there's people who disagree with, it just comes down to football and it comes down to recognizing these are human beings, people who have different beliefs. Um, but I think it does show a lot about the NFL, the ownership of, hey, this is maybe a team if, if Rosen starts to go out there and says, hey guys, I think that we're going to go ahead and take a knee before the flag. I can definitely see owners and coaches being like, okay, you're the leader of the quarterback of our franchise. We have to basically be able to make sure that we're having, you know, a profitable. It's, it's just recognizing that business aspect. And I think that that's where when you buy into these guys as human beings and people, uh, I think that the biggest thing comes down to is if you can go out there and win football games, uh, a lot of times people just aren't going to care nearly as much as you think they will. Uh, I, and I think that that's an area where if Rosen ends up sliding his stock, let's say that Rosen, let's say he even slides out of the top 10. I, I don't think he will. I think that he's still going to go the top three. I think maybe Josh Allen, because I think that I, I do think Allen's going to end up passing him up because how he looked at the combine and how his pro day is going to be and the interviews. I think that it's just going to favor Allen. I think it's going to go Donald one. I think Allen's going to be the second quarterback off the board, despite the different stats, just because I think that there's going to be a team that's going to buy in, um, and, you know, we've talked about teams have known about Allen for a while. Like he was at the combine secretly last year, kind of convinced and won over a lot of people in the interview room last year. Rosen's the guy who, and it seems like the, just the, the talk of it just reminds me a lot of the Teddy Bridgewater. We had things that were coming out, people talking about doubting him. It just reminds me a lot of Deshaun Kaiser with these stories coming out about him. And to get back to the draft day movie that came out, you know, like the whole point of the movie was they didn't draft a quarterback because none of the teammates went to his birthday party. And I, I think ultimately to some case, you can say that's kind of dumb <laughs> in some regard. You know, they passed on a franchise quarterback for a, a veteran and maybe the draft day two would be them having to recover from that mistake with a brand new GM. But uh, and I think with, with, it's going to be interesting, but out of all the quarterbacks we're going to slip, I don't think it's going to be Mayfield. I think Darnold's going to be gone so the Cardinals won't be able to get him. I do think Allen is just going to be, there's just too many teams picking high up who are going to like him too much, whether it's the Jets or the Broncos or um, even if the Dolphins are there. Uh, and they're reported to like Baker Mayfield. I think that there's a possibility that Josh Rosen could slip. I don't know if it's out of the top 10. I, I don't know if it's even out of the top five. But that'd be something for the Cardinals to take a look at and figure out because as I've seen from looking on tape, all of these other quarterbacks, they can all throw on the run. Josh Allen does not throw well on the run. He's much more the, the pocket passer. He can throw on the run, but he's just not nearly as effective when the play breaks down. As we talk about having that mobility in this new NFL, is, is Rosen kind of a guy who is more of a franchise quarterback of the 2000s and 2010s, and he's not as much of that quarterback in 2010 to 2020? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I still think that he's a guy I'd take and draft. He has a talent level I'd adapt to him. But that's the biggest concern I've seen from him is that, and then also the fact that despite having a bad team, he still had some poor decisions he made on 
the road. Perhaps, you know, it's the Pac-12. He started throwing that ball around, just trying to get some points. But that's the biggest concern that I think I have with him is some of those areas. And it's why I think some NFL teams have. So I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Rosen starts to slide a bit, but I don't think it'll be down to 15. Uh, we've already talked about Kyle Rudolph, and Kyle Lillard is a name that kind of, you know, he showed up at the Combine, seemed to kind of have – some impressive qualities, maybe some have compared him to Garoppolo, but the biggest story of the week was Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson choosing not to run at the combine. He did not run the 40-yard dash. Uh, he chose only to throw. He sees himself as a quarterback. Um, his, a lot of the hullabaloo about him not having an agent or a quarterback coach. His mom is kind of taken on as his manager. He's representing himself. Um, he's a very smart kid, very gifted, and like maybe one of the most gifted athletes we've ever seen at the quarterback position. Uh, he went out and, you know, he had a couple of times he struggled. He had some awesome, amazing, like well-timed over the middle throws. And that's kind of more of his bread and butter throws on the outside. It just seems like it was arm and floated or were gone. But what are your thoughts on Lamar Jackson? Is this a guy who belongs in the conversation with the, with the other guys in the top 10? Is he still a first round talent or just the guy that the Cardinals are going to be needing to look at as a project at the next level? No, he definitely deserves to be in that conversation, but for crazy reasons that probably overall around race more than anything he's not in the discussion he's quite frankly he's a better QB prospect in a lot of ways than Josh Allen is he's certainly a better athlete he's the best athlete coming out at the quarterback position probably since Michael Vick Um, Michael Vick has even alluded to that Uh, he's a first round quarterback in my opinion I know that Mike Mayock has him as a first round quarterback uh, Daniel Jeremiah a lot of the quality um, you know people that I respect draft experts uh, have him as a first round quarterback. And in and, and that, my opinion, that's, that's worthy of the number 15th pick. Uh, I think that you're going to have to tailor your offense around him to some effect, just like teams like Carolina care, tailor their offense to Cam Newton. That's what good teams do. So when I hear a knock on him that, you know, he's a little bit unconventional, your only goal should be to how to elevate your quarterback and then everything else falls into place. Don't let your quarterback have to fill into some specific mold that you think that you're going to run offensively. It's the creative guys like the John D. Filippos that we've seen in the past elevate their quarterbacks to new levels based on the skill sets that they're provided, uh, not the other way around. And so hopefully he goes to the right system, to the right coaching staff and is able to succeed because quite frankly, you know, if you told me two years from now, he's going to be, you know, an all pro player based on his ability to throw and run, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think Deshaun Watson had a lot of the same critics last year, maybe not to the same effect, but they looked at him probably as a lesser athlete. He set the NFL on fire before getting hurt. So my biggest concern with Lamar is, is just that he's slight. He's probably about 6'2", 6'2 215 uh, at best. He's going to need to put on about 10 to 15 pounds for me to be comfortable with him starting from day Especially one. He's going to be running around a lot more versus Mayfield's at 215. He's a thick 215, but you're like yeah, absolutely. running three, around a different method. Three inches shorter for Mayfield. So Lamar, in my opinion, has to silence those RG3 comparisons. He has to silence those, you know, Mike Vick comparisons where Mike couldn't stay healthy later in his career. So can he be able to have consistent success in and outside the pocket in the NFL where you're going to take a beating? He didn't miss any starts. I'll give him credit at the University of Louisville, played every game, was under a quarterback guru in, in Petrino, Bobby Petrino. So he's got a lot going for him. It's going to go in the first round. I'd be comfortable taking him at 15. I'd be comfortable taking him at any point in the first round. But I think the Cardinal fans who think that he's going to be available later and you're going to be able to make your 15th pick on, let's say, the offensive line and trade up for him, I think that that is – you know, not the not the smart way of going about it. I think if you love him enough to take him at any point in the first round, you need to take him at pick 15. 
Yeah, that's what's kind of tough with him because it's an area where I don't think that because of the, his mom being a manager, because of the combine performance, um, and it's also interesting when you talk about velocity, at least as far as for um, some teams are, you know, they hold straight, steadfast to like, you know, that 55 miles an hour. The official reports aren't out yet. Um, he came in about the same actual miles per hour last year that Deshaun Watson had. And just looking at some of the interceptions in his collegiate career, I think that's an area where it's not just about the measurement. I think there are going to be some picks that you'll see with him um, versus a guy like a Mayfield or maybe even a guy like a Josh Rosen. But when you start talking about talent around the player and that being a factor, I think people don't understand just how much he carried that Louisville program up from the depths. Um, you look at how many drops he had. People knock Josh Allen for saying he had a lot of drops and a lot of things, but they never knocked Lamar. They never, you know, knocked Lamar Jackson for the poor talent he had. And part of it, I think is because ultimately they view him as a run first quarterback. Couldn't be further from the truth as far as for where even he should at the combine, they use the same type of terminology in their offense under Petrino that the new England Patriots used. Um, you know, this is where Ryan Mallett, part of the reason the Patriots drafted Ryan Mallett is because he was so familiar with this scene and their system that he was able to just kind of come in right away. Now Mallett of course didn't work out. And there's been questions at least about him, about Wilson, about how prepared some of these Petrino quarterbacks are. But I think with Jackson, when you look at him on tape, um, he really just ends up flashing, not just as a runner, but as a passer as well. Uh, now, going back with when we're talking about, you know, drop rates and the people around him, MDT scouting, they turned him as, as uh, they turned Lamar Jackson as having the highest drop rate of any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft, 10%. So if you think about, you know, how many throws he had, the incompletion factor, 10% of those passes, they were considered true drops and not on his fault. You look at that and his adjusted completion percentage would be pretty close to Josh Rosen and only less than a point even beside, behind a, a guy like a, uh, actually we're just less than a point behind Josh Rosen, and very close overall to Sam Darnold. So Baker Mayfield obviously is going to be even higher just because of the crazy offense that he was in also how crazy accurate he was but I don't think Lamar Jackson is that far behind as far as um, with some of these other quarterbacks I think you're right that I would be willing to take him at 15 but I think the biggest thing about Lamar Jackson is you have to decide are the Cardinals sold on him enough to take him in the first round and I think that I would love to because I think whatever quarterback you draft this year you should take in the first round get a quarterback you love draft them and then have that fifth year option where you're able to at least have one extra year before you have to pay your guy of being able to go out and get those free agents before signing them to that big mega deal um, so that's where I think where the Cardinals stand, at least um, I would, if I had to pick a kind of maybe perfect scenario, maybe you look at the Cardinals taking, um, can we find a wide receiver you love? I still wouldn't take one in the first round this year, but let's say you end up with a guy like a uh, Will Hernandez or maybe an Isaiah Wynn, even an offensive lineman there at 15 and you trade up into the first, like the, like the Vikings did a few years ago for Teddy Bridgewater. Perhaps that's like the maybe dream method you would have as far as being able to bring in two impact players, uh, I would think at least under Steve Wilkes and also even looking at um, some of the rest of the Cardinals staff, they'd be more open to that with Ray Brown's scheme. But I do feel like if, if the Cardinals aren't able to trade up into this draft, and we'll talk about the trade up and what it'll cost in a second here, but if they don't, I, I feel I agree with you is they should go all in on Lamar Jackson or they should take a look at and kind of maybe, I don't know if you can even say trade back for him. It's tough to know just because maybe a team like the Ravens or another team would surprise and want to take a look at him as a developmental guy, but you want to at least go either all in on Lamar Jackson or do what the Bills and the Browns did, trade back, get that extra first-round pick, do whatever it takes to know that you're not going to be good next year. You're not going to be prepping a young quarterback most likely. Go out and get the amount of uh, picks that you need to have to trade up into next year's draft to be able to get that guy uh, with whatever the cost is going to be at least. Um, 
so that's where I'm at. So let's talk a little bit about the cost um, as far as with, not just with Lamar, because I think that's kind of your maybe plan B. Let's go with the plan A. If the plan A comes down to a Josh Rosen or a Baker Mayfield, don't think they're going to get Allen or Darnold. What do you think at least, what are we going to start talking about the cost of what the Cardinals need to kind of give up to get there and how much should they get? Is there kind of a limit to how many picks they should give up for a quarterback here of a Mayfield or Rosen's caliber? No, I don't think so. If you're sold on him as your franchise quarterback and the opportunity presents itself, I don't think anything is too much for a franchise quarterback. If we're talking about after the top two quarterbacks, whether it's Allen or Rosen in in combination with Darnold, and you're looking to say move up to like the eighth pick uh, somewhere in that Tampa Bay range, I think that you're going to have to give up your first next year. But you still have all your picks for this year. If you're talking about jumping some teams in the teens, whether you're going to move up Uh, a couple spots looking to jump the Miami Dolphins, perhaps, then you're talking about your second round pick. If you're looking at packaging all of your picks, uh, what it would look like to get up to the number two pick, assuming for whatever reason, Buffalo wasn't interested. You're talking about your first and your second this year, your first and your second next year, and maybe even an additional day two or three pick on top of that. That's where I think that if you're able to convince the Cleveland Browns to take on Tyron Matthews, salary or to some extent uh, eat some of that salary so they're able to get a, a player of his capability under contract um, that that's what could be a little bit of a sweetener and I'm sure that's what Steve Kime is weighing right now is what would that number four pick look like if you could assure yourself of getting uh, a franchise quarterback what would you have to give up in combination with Tyron outside of him I don't think the Cardinals have any players under contract right now that they'd be able to deal. I think if Marcus Golden was healthy, not coming off an ACL, he'd be a hell of a trade chip. Not that I'd want to trade a young pass rusher, but what with what they're paying to Chandler Jones right now, I don't know if it's it's a likelihood that they're going to be able to get a deal done, but you never know. So what other assets do they have to trade from? They just don't have that many outside of Tyron. He's linked into that long-term deal, but Cleveland could be looking at it and saying to themselves, we're not going to be able to get a Tyron Matthew via free agency recruiting guys. Like, for instance, Jarvis Landry, we got to trade for him. Um, so like a Jamie Cons, like they did with New England. So it'd be interesting to see if, if the Cardinals are able to do something like that. I think it's doubtful, but it's something to entertain nonetheless. So, again, you want to get in the top 10 minimum first round pick this year and next year. And then you start talking about those day two second rounders and it's going to get expensive. But at the end of the day, you can have all the picks you want. You have all the skilled players you want, offensive linemen. If you're, you know, suiting up in September of 2018, with Brock Osweiler and Luke Falk or some terrible combination like that, you're going to be wishing you'd spent those, that draft capital like Houston did last year uh, with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and I agree. I, I, from what we've heard, at least, that they're probably not going to be interested in Falk just because of medical issues. Um, even Falk, like he was at the Senior Bowl, he caught a pass with his uh, left hand and dropped it immediately afterwards just because he's like, I can't catch it with my wrist anymore like that. He, he's just a guy who's just been too beat up over the years. He's benched a couple of times for injury and then play. Uh, I, I think at least Cardinals fans don't have to worry about that. The issue is going to be more, are they going to be able to – uh, take quarterback this year because all we've seen at least from Steve Kime we don't know if they've had interest in Bortles we know they had interest in um, uh, a guy last year in Patrick Mahomes didn't make the move for that one so I think that it's going to be uh, maybe this is kind of the karmic kind of cost you're going to have to pay because you couldn't give up one of those picks and just previously to move up or to guarantee your guy uh, maybe things are different this year if they end up actually moving up and did get Jacoby Brissett in that one year because maybe they look at him as kind of saying, okay, maybe he's the starter that we have. We'll just get a veteran guy to develop, see where he is, and look at 2019. 
Um, I, I think at least the cost of this year is, like you're right, Aaron, it seems like a lot, but really it's not as much when you're talking about that it really is going to hinge on that 2019 first-round pick. And if Steve Kine is willing to give that up, then I think that you can move well, maybe not anywhere, but very many places, a lot of places around the draft. The Rams eventually to trade up from the number 15 spot to get up to number one. They basically gave up their first round pick. Two, they had two second rounders in 2016, as well as a third rounder. And then had a first round pick in 2017 and another third round pick. So really what they ended up trading up for was you swap first, to get up to number one. They had two seconds that year because of either, I believe it was a trade back that they had and a third. So really their first three picks of that year's draft were basically gone. They even had four picks that they threw in. So I think that if the Cardinals wanted to move up to the number one pick with the Browns, it would cost at least no less than giving up their entire day one and day two draft and giving up um, uh, the first and second pick next year. That's why I think that it does not happen because I don't think that they're that sold on one specific quarterback this year to move up and give up that much. Um, now, maybe, of course, you end up seeing with a rookie contract, you get some of that back, but I just don't see, see Steve Kime giving up that haul especially when there's other quarterbacks will be available. It's not like it's just Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and no one else this year. Uh, when you look at what the Eagles gave up to move up, they moved up from the eighth pick. They gave up a first rounder next year's first rounder. And then they also ended up giving up uh, as far as when it came to second rounders, uh, you know, they gave up a third round pick and fourth round pick in this year and a second round pick and next year's in 2018. This is the pick that I think, this is the one that I think Cardinals fans should be looking at this trade more than the Rams trade, because when you look at the moving up from eight to two, it wasn't moving all the way up to the top pick in the draft, and it wasn't moving up to uh, – it was more just kind of jumping a couple of teams to get the quarterback that they wanted. And so when you look at and start talking about a first-round pick and then a third and a fourth, the Cardinals have two third-round picks this year, and they've got that fourth that they have as a comp pick is now tradable with the new CBA. I think that that's doable. If you wanted to, say, move up to that number four pick, try to jump the Broncos if the Broncos are looking at a Mayfield or a Rosen, I think that's perfectly doable. And the Browns would be more than happy to take a couple of those extra picks off of the Cardinals' hands. Um, so you'd be looking at a first-round pick this year, your third and your fourth. You still get to keep your second-round pick, and you still get to keep one of your third-round picks. And I think that's key because the Cardinals then could take a look at a wide receiver. They could look at an offensive lineman. Um, they could even look at just the best player who's available, and you can get that guy in this year to help replenish your depleted roster. And then when you're looking at next year's pick, you're not having to give up a first and a second next year. You're only having to give up your first-round pick next year. And if you're not taking a quarterback this year, that pick would certainly be gone on a quarterback next year, almost regardless, because your team is just not going to be good. So I think that's where if Steve Kime's going to make a trade up, and I think that it's going to be more of how much of the Jets willing to give up. Do the Jets think they can stand by at six? How much of the Bills going to be giving up when they give up those two first round picks that they had? Because the Bills come in and offer, you know, two firsts and, it's going to be hard to be able to do that. But if the Bills are saying, hey, come back to pick number 21 and 22 for our two first versus pick 15, maybe you have to up a little bit for that one as far as for just to compete with them. Um, maybe it's a little bit with the Dolphins who pick at 11. But I think that's where if Steve Kime's going to want to pull off a trade, I think that he's going to have to do it on draft day because until you get to that April time, unless he's going to trade up with the Giants, that number two, you're not going to know that that quarterback's going to be there. You don't want to see the Colts trade down for that number three position and you lose the guy that you want. So, But I think that if Cardinals are going to look at right down the first, a third, a fourth, and a first next year, that seems to be the cost that it'll take to get it done. And I think if you can get a Mayfield or a Rosen, um, I think that that would basically be the best part now. Uh, the best way to go for the Cardinals for them to kind of secure the quarterback in the future. Now here, let's play a little devil's advocate. Johnny, would you be a rather a fan of giving up a first, a third, a fourth, and then looking at a first next year, or would you be more tempted to say, Hey, you know what? Why do we want to give up those picks? Let's not just take Jim Lamar Jackson where we are at 15. People will call it a reach, but he can sit work on some of the mechanics, at least under left, which 
Uh, we'll know that we'll still get a probably a high pick next year. At least we can use as an impact player versus that being gone. Which route would you prefer? Would you think? Are you sold enough on Lamar Jackson that you wouldn't give up the picks to go up and get him? Uh, where you would just stay put at 15. Do you think that it's a better benefit to the Cardinals, or do you think that getting that guy who's a known quantity, a known passer, who can take over and can maybe start from day one, is that more important to the Cardinals than to be able to give up the picks to get him? No, I think he's worthy of a trade-up. I think he's a safer quarterback prospect in a lot of ways than Josh Allen is. Um, Josh Allen probably has the highest ceiling of any player, but he also has the lowest floor. He also has the highest potential to bust. And I've heard teams... Um, specifically talking about trading into the top 10 rumors that Buffalo could come from 21, 22 to trade up for Josh Allen. If that's worthy of a trade up, then it's certainly worthy of the trade up for the Cardinals to go from say 15 to, like I said earlier, eight or nine to jump the Miamis of the world to secure Lamar Jackson. I think that, you know, if he ends up being a franchise quarterback, again, nobody remembers. You have to go look up what the Rams had to get up for golf and what the Philadelphia Eagles had to give up for Wentz. Um, no quarterback is beyond trading up for. Um, and I think that it's one of Steve Kimes biggest faults is that he doesn't know when to pull the trigger on a move. Because again, when does he want to commit himself to a quarterback? When does he want to essentially tie his fate to a franchise pocket passer? It's the difference between being fired or two or three years or having your, you know, your essential contract extended for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, so nobody remembers the move or how much he gave up unless it, it doesn't work out. But I think that if you're confident in the player and you're pretty certain that a lot of other teams around you, you hear teams talk, you hear agents talk that they've got first round grades on them. You have to be aggressive no matter what. And we've seen the Cardinals blunder first round pick after first round pick. That's why it boggles my mind when I see fans push back on the fact of trading up for a quarterback when you got no production out of DJ Humphreys year one. You got no production out of Robert Kemdichi. You got no production out of Hassan Reddick. You have to go back to day when we can and be a part-time starter. You know, before that, Jonathan Cooper didn't play because of injury. This team's had success year after year, more success than they've ever had in a, in a you know a five-year span without any kind of contribution from their first-round pick. That's why it baffled my mind last year that they weren't willing to give up a third-round pick that equated to Chad Williams to go up and get you know either Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. So again, first-round picks are great when they hit and. A lot of people feel like that should be every year, but it's not. I think 50, 50, or 60% of uh, first rounders hit, whereas 40%, 30 to 40% are busts. So if you're certain that it's going to be a quarterback that you're going to hit on, you have to give up whatever, whatever it means. And if it's Lamar Jackson and you think he's worth this year and next year's first, then do it. I don't care. Yeah, no, that's where I think with the Cardinals, the the biggest thing I think we're going to have a lot of talk about is there's eight teams that are in desperate need of a quarterback. They either don't have one on the roster or need one to be replaced. That's uh, the Browns. You could even argue the Giants. I, if the Giants, maybe they come out of it. Maybe that review removes you from a team if they decide to stick with Eli. The um, Broncos, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Vikings, and the Cardinals. And that's seven teams, and there's four quarterbacks for that. If you include Lamar Jackson at five, that still means that there's two teams who are going to be shut out of it for that one. And I really think that this is the year of the Cardinals. They can't afford to be that team that's shut out. And if they are, then that basically means that you're going to be looking at people and going to start talking to you about being a potential number one pick next year. People are going to start doubting Steve Kine. What you can't do is take the approach that the um, Jason Light took with his first year with the Buccaneers where he decided to go and say, you know what, we're just going to invest in – um, Josh McCown will pay. We'll draft Mike Glennon over here, and then put the number one pick in Jameis Winston the next year. And Jameis has, you know, he hasn't been completely like sold. He hasn't been won a Super Bowl with them. They've haven't even been to the playoffs with Jameis Winston yet. Um, 
And that's where I think the Cardinals, they're in a spot where they at least have the ability to determine their own fate. And it's going to tell us a lot about Steve Kine. If they're going to be, they need to be one of those teams who's not going to be shut out. If they are going to be one of those teams that is on the outside, let's say that four quarterbacks go in the first six picks, let's say that the Browns, the Giants do decide to take a Josh Rosen. Even if they don't, let's say the Bills decide to trade up for him to that number two spot, give up a plethora of their many picks. And I think that that's probably going to be what happens. We talk about them, the Broncos, um, even if they end up with a Case Keenum or something, or if the Vikings get Kirk Cousins and he doesn't go to a team ahead of the Cardinals picking, you're going to basically be in uh, a station for, uh, I guess you could say like the, um, the potential worst team of 2018 uh, range. And that's the spot where at that point you have to say, Steve Kahn, he had an opportunity. He chose the whole line of the different picks. And if those picks don't work out, you're not justified, then you're basically going to be looking at rendering 2019 nil with your job in line. So I'm glad it's, it's not my job that I have to worry about at least, because this is a tough decision, but I do think it's going to come down to the Cardinals either have to be willing to commit to pick a guy that they like and wonder that's having to trade up for that or if it's just staying put at 15 and taking that guy in Lamar Jackson. I think that that's what we want to see from the Cardinals and we'll find out more about it over the next couple of months. Uh, but yeah, so thank you guys for tuning in for that one. You can follow us and find us on iTunes. We'll be getting back in more because with how it's been in free agency, it's only going to get more crazy is the reports that we've heard as far as for trades, guys moving around, um, teams kind of locking up some of that. Hopefully the Cardinals can take some of their many offensive needs that we'll see here. And they'll be able to, uh, you know, fill some of those holes. We'll be able to learn a lot about what they're looking for for quarterbacks upcoming, at least. And uh, have plenty to talk about. Uh, so as we close out tonight, John, uh, tell everyone where they can find you, at least on Twitter, just to share some of that conversation. Yeah, it's just at Johnny's Football, all one word, no uh, special characters. But, yeah, give me a follow. Follow the Bird Baiting Blitz as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, you can find us on iTunes. You'll also be able to find us on revengeofthebirds.com. I'll be publishing the podcast with any of the articles I'm writing. we got a couple more of the quarterback facts coming out. Some really cool stuff, at least, about um, looking at the highest level of competition when they play the toughest teams. How do these quarterbacks fare? And uh, a little bit of a spoiler for you, Josh Allen, there's probably a little bit more reason to doubt him and a little bit more reason to take one of the quarterbacks that you may not have expected to play as well for that one. Uh, he actually ended up showing up really well with some of those stats. So some of that will just be good to at least know about. But, yeah, you guys take care, and we'll tack bags with you over next time. Um, hopefully a few more answers for you uh, from the Cardinals after the free agency period and that start is done. Uh, but for now, from all of us here at the Bird Game Blitz, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a good night. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. 
I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.